Hello, and welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast. My name is John, and joining me today, as always, is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Good morning. Yeah, and we're excited to have a, a, a guest here today, uh, Dave from Japan, who um, has been listening to the show for a while. And, and if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that Dave uh, gives us a lot of great feedback and uh, in conversation topics and things like that. So uh, welcome to the show, Dave. Oh, Thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk Bad Batch, and, and Dave, you're a big fan of uh, the clones and, and the Clone Wars, and mm. and uh, a lot of our correspondence with you has been on on the, those topics. So we thought it'd be uh, it'd be great to have you on to uh, to talk Bad Batch here. Um, before we jump into it, maybe uh, do you want to just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, in, in kind of your interest in Star Wars and that kind of thing? Oh, sure. Um, well. Yeah, as, as you guys said, I, I've been living here in Japan for, oh geez, 18 years now. I basically came here after I graduated college. But my interest in Star Wars goes, I mean, as long as I've had memory, Star Wars has been there. And I think the very first vivid memory I have is uh, seeing Empire Strikes Back as a kid. I saw that before Episode 4 for some reason. But um, had Kenner toys growing up, and so it was always... Just Star Wars is a big part of my life. And then in the mid-90s when I mean, the Power of the Force figures came about and the internet started, my friends and I started searching up on things on Star Wars. And that just interest was always there. And it continued with the prequels, like even to the point where I got out of school early on my last day of high school to go see Phantom Menace in the theater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I – but when I came to Japan, it was, it was a little strange because at first – it's not like today where the movies are released simultaneously around the world. I had to wait like two months to see Revenge of the Sith. Fortunately, I had a reason to go back to the States in May of that year, but I saw it then. But, and then I started, my wife had never seen any of Star Wars movies. And so I introduced him to her. And then it, for a while, I was kind of disenfranchised with the prequels. And it wasn't until I had my own kids and then, my son wanted to watch them. And then when I started watching the prequels again, I found a newfound appreciation for them. And then when the Clone Wars came out, I was such a fan of the, the Gandhi Clone Wars that I was a little put off as to, can they really do better than Gandhi stuff? And I didn't mm-hmm. want to, didn't really dive into it. And once again, it was my son who said, well, I want to watch this. And so I started watching it with him. And the first episode we watched together was a uh, rookies season one where uh, Cody and Rex go to that outpost and that's where they meet well Echo and Fives and some of these other clones and I was like this is this is actually pretty good stuff and so from that point onward I really just took an interest in the clones and I don't know why they were just they just really fascinated me because they were mass produced people but they still were people and they had mm they had their own character and they were trying to show that they had equal worth. And then later on when the the new movies came out, my wife was like, well, why don't, why don't you start writing about these uh, connections you see between Japanese culture and star Wars. And so then I started doing that off and on beginning in 2017. And I have a blog that I do in English and Japanese where I explore some of these things. In addition to star Wars, I, do Japanese history stuff as well. But um, no, it's just, I mean, as I said, 
this very long-winded introduction of myself. I mean, Star Wars <laughs> has been there ever since I, I, I can remember. The three things I remember always being in my life have been my fa- Star Wars, sports, and specifically Chicago Cubs. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, are you are you from the Midwest? Yeah, I was uh, born in Joliet. Oh, that's right. Okay, n- now I remember that we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all my, I mean, my my last name Hackerson is a bastardization of the Norwegian Hawkinson, because all of my family, both sides, are like from this. There's this little area to the west of Joliet. There's town of Lisbon, Newark, Helmer. Um, there's even a little town called Stavanger, and there's a town called Norway there. There's all these Norwegian immigrants, and so that's where all my family is originally from. And like my Twitter handle, the reason I got Norsk in it is because my family is 100% Norwegian by blood. So, so that's where we're all from. But then my father's work relocated us to St. Louis in Missouri. So I lived most of my life in St. Louis, but grew up fan Cubs, Blackhawks. Bulls and uh, got a lot of crap from people in St. Louis, especially about the <laughs> Cubs and the Blackhawks. But uh, yeah, so from the Midwest, in cool. very flat. <laughs> very flat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I was just thinking um, as you were, you know, kind of talking about your your history with Star Wars. There, like how many similarities there are between the the three of us and. Um, I hadn't even. Uh, I mean, I we had talked about it before, so but I had forgotten that you were you know, from Illinois originally as both Ryan and I are. And, uh, mm-hmm. let's see, I was a junior. Well, Ryan and I were both juniors in high school and the Phantom Menace came out. Um, okay, so, so it sounds old. like I'm you're, a, I'm a year older than you. I graduated in 99. Yeah. So just one year ahead there. And, uh, mm. of course the power of the force and all that was, uh, super, you know, integral in, in our, uh, our star Wars histories as well. So being the mm-hmm. same age and similar area. So yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. We are all geriatric millennials. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I hit the big four oh next next week actually. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Well, happy early birthday. I actually uh, I turned thirty nine uh a couple days ago. So <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. May birthdays. Yeah. Um yeah, cool. Well, uh, yeah, we'll certainly uh, we'll link to your blog in the show notes and uh, we'll we'll definitely encourage people to go check that out and uh um, yeah, maybe more on that, uh, towards the end of the show, but what we're going to do here, um, is, uh, get into bad batch. Like I said, the, the, the whole episode will focus on bad batch. We, Ryan and I talked, uh, about the, the pilot episode on, I guess it was our, our last show. Um, so we're going to, we're going to talk about episodes two and three here, uh, a little bit. And then, um, we've got some, some larger bad batch, uh, topics that we're going to discuss too. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the layout here. So we'll start with, discussing um the second episode of the show which is titled cut and run uh in english anyway um dave you were saying that uh that the the japanese titles are are a little different yeah um, the, in in japanese this one is kind of close it doesn't carry the because uh, cut and run i mean in english we have like cut cut your losses and run that mm-hmm. in japanese it's just called dashitsu, which just means escape that's it so this is episode three title that really like was like, Hmm, that was interesting, but I'll wait, I'll wait till we get to that point. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so this one's pretty similar. Well, real quick though, isn't the name of the clone who left the army, isn't his name cut? Yeah. His name's okay. Cut. His name is cut. 
and so I, I was I was kind of I think that was like a missed opportunity in the Japanese translation because in English when we see cut and run we automatically have the cut your losses and run and then the mm-hmm. character that they meet is named cut and so all of that is conveyed in in a really good way in the English title right and in this instance the Japanese title is just kind of mm, missing something but the next episode's Japanese title was like whoa okay that was that was something I did not expect and uh, it'll be it actually will bring up a good point of conversation when we get to that cool 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 um, yeah, so uh, we're gonna Ryan. Actually, you took a bunch of uh, uh, notes here that we'll we'll kind of use to guide our, our discussion. Sure. Um, I haven't been I haven't been taking notes as I've been watching the episodes. Um, so I, I like to do that if I can get a second uh, viewing in, um, you know, before we talk about them. But uh, usually, I don't like to to bullet point too much as I'm watching uh, for the first time. So thankfully. Uh, Ryan, you you uh, tackled that task for us. And the first bullet point you have here um, is about Clone Wars narration. Um, but I, I I'm a little confused on what uh, what uh, what you mean here. So uh, oh, what's sure. what's the deal with the narration? <laughs> I, I got like sure. that what you meant. Okay, yeah, just that. Um, you know, the first um the episode, the pilot, um, starts with like that. Um, you know, kind of classic uh Clone Wars. Uh you know, World War II propaganda film uh, Uh narration. Um, And then that's the only episode that does it because like, it makes sense because the first episode, like the Clone Wars are still happening and it's like, Hey, this is, we're still in the Clone Wars, but like, you know, shortly into the first episode, we're not in the Clone Wars anymore. We're post Clone Wars. We're, you know, in the, in the empire's era. Um, and so I think it's just, you know, episode two is the first episode that doesn't include that narration at the beginning. I see. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. Like you said, the Clone Wars are over, which is one of the, uh, I mean, one of the, the most, um, I, enjoyable parts of the show or interesting parts of the mm-hmm. show here so far as just seeing the clones in a post Clone War era, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, really a first here. So it's, it's pretty cool. Well, I guess it's not totally a first cause we've seen, uh, Rex and, and, uh, some clones and rebels and things like that. But, uh, yeah. but I think yeah. one showed up in Lords of Sith. He was an Imperial guard with Vader and oh. the Emperor. And there's a campfire scene where they, the Emperor tells the two Imperial guards to take their helmets off and, it's a really cool scene because when Vader sees the clone's face, he has all these Anakin flashbacks, but the clone, because it's like 10 years, 10 years on the clone is fairly aged, but like Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's really cool. Cause when I was reading that I was like, wow, that's an awesome scene. And so that, that was like the first, like really post post clone, uh, clone wars and prequel era where we, uh, in, in literature, at least I think that I can remember seeing it a clone appear. It was, that was a really cool, cool moment. I should revisit that. Uh, yeah. I, I totally forgot I, about that moment. Yeah, I read exactly. that book, but yeah. I forgot about that. Now I can vaguely remember it though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is it, cool. And it's like, and because all those Anakin memories come up and he like, I think he names specifically Rex Cody fives and Ahsoka's name comes up and mm. Kenobi's name comes up and then Palpatine senses it and he looks right at him and is like, it's like, kind of like, 
I sense something in you that I should not be sensing. And Vader quickly tries to tries to push it away. But it's all because yeah. of that cl- that clone appeared, and I mean, just shows the impact that those clones still had on a lot of people. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, uh, Ryan, do we do we want to tackle the uh, the wrecker topic now, or uh, hold on to that <laughs> until uh, the third episode? Um, um, sure. I mean, we can we can say where where we were at with wrecker in episode two, and then where we're at <laughs> with wrecker in episode three. Um, you know, if you've listened to the show before, you know that uh, wrecker not really not really our favorite. Um. You know, he's, uh, you know, not a, not a not a Star Wars character up there with the likes of uh, Ray or, you know, Ben Solo <laughs> or anyone like that. Um, it would be actually the, like the exact opposite end of that. And, uh, you know, I can, you know, at the beginning of episode two, Wrecker, uh, he's still an idiot. Um, <laughs> that's kind of like where his character arc is at uh, during most of episode two, though. There's a couple endearing moments. Mm. Well, I'm going to defend him when we get to episode three, which uh, I'm as shocked as anybody that that's my uh, perspective mm. at, at this point. But um, Dave, uh, what are your thoughts on Wrecker? Are, are you, uh, well, I, I know you're, I didn't think, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I kind of, he, he's, he's kind of just like the bronze person. He just reminds me of a lovable jock from mm-hmm. high school if we're going to do that stereotype. But I, I, I stopped thinking of him as an idiot towards the end of the, the the pilot episode when they're they're making their escape, and he's like freaking out because he can't find something, and Omega finds that that stuffed animal, and that mm-hmm. was like Wrecker's thing, and that for me was like a really kind of pivotal moment for how I viewed his character because until then, to borrow an expression from my North Irish friend, he was always rack brack and smash, and then <laughs> and then suddenly he's got. This this guy who can like, I mean, he can lift up a, a freaking attack attack ship and roll it over, and then here he's all freaking out in the middle of a firefight about a doll, a stuffed animal that he needs for comfort. And I was like, "Whoa, he's actually got a dimension I didn't expect." And so that was uh, that was one moment for me that started changing my opinion of him. I still think he's all about rack, rack, and smash, but he's actually got a tender side that didn't really appear in for the most of the pilot episode and then all of the four episodes we saw at the beginning of season seven of the Clone Wars. So that for <laughs> me is what I started kind of broadening my <laughs> opinion of Wrecker. He's still not my, yeah, well, he's still, I- still down at the bottom of the Bad Batch for me, but... <laughs> well, I won't. I won't speak for Ryan, but uh, I think that that kind of serves as a little bit of a metaphor for me in terms of, um, you know, kind of how you're processing this show and how I am in the sense that, like, you know, by the time I get to episode three, I'm like, oh, okay, I see some dimension to uh, Wrecker. You know, you caught it in in the first episode, and uh, <laughs> like I've been, you know, pretty publicly. Um, hesitant to embrace the bad batch you know or at least in the lead up to the show i just wasn't really seeing it you know what i mean and and uh you know one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is because uh you really have you know i mean you were dming us months ago um making predictions about the show that that have completely you know kind of come true so uh yeah that's a good example of how um i I feel like at least in comparison to me like you're, you're picking up on 
uh, kind of where the show's going a little bit uh, ahead of me, which is which is great. So um, yeah, it took me a little longer to come around on Wrecker <laughs> on Wrecker mm. for sure, but I think I am getting there now. So mm. yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, other other notes here, Ryan. Um, I mean, really, the 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 heart of the episode, or one of the the, the kind of key components of the episode, is seeing Omega uh, interacting with with cuts kids and and mm-hmm. uh, really even Omega just being in another place besides Camino. Uh, I forget the line that she says when she's when, when she when they first land, but basically she's like, "I've never been anywhere besides Camino, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like this this a lot of this episode revolves around, you know, her just experiencing new things and being somewhere new and, and having the opportunity to play with these, um, these other kids cuts kids, um, and kind of seeing her interacting with that, uh, uh, I guess uh, with a, with a kind of family that, that she's never really been around. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, (laughs) go ahead, Dave. No, I, I just, the thing that really, fascinated me about Omega and on a side note I love that they're doing a New Zealand accent with her because it uh-huh. it's that nice extension of a Timor Morrison who's, who's Maori he's from New Zealand and I've met mm. a few Kiwis in my my time here in Japan my first boss when I was working teaching English was from New Zealand and her husband was Maori and like hearing that accent just if it just feels a little bit like my home here I'm like oh that's that's great but um, mm. when she gets out and the first thing she does is picks up that handful of dirt and she just lets it run through her fingers and she's been on Camino and she's in an artificial environment because everything is above water. And so she's never seen like actual physical dirt or any land. It's just all been water around her. And she's, and for the clones, they've been on so many different planets and to them, it's just like, it's dirt. It's the ground. We walk on it. Who cares? And she's just so fascinated. And it's like, I think it's a really nice way to try to get us as an audience to, as we view it with the Bad Batch, we're also, I kind of think Omega is going to be like our, our vehicle as an audience for taking a new perspective on the galaxy and taking a new perspective on all these little mundane things that um, just as, as Star Wars fans, we've, come to take for granted and the clones themselves have to come and take for granted. So I really just, I thought that was a great moment seeing her do that with the, uh, the dirt there. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the clones go too, it's like, um, you know, they're, they're always kind of exploring sort of, uh, you know, artificiality versus, you know, kind of, uh, a more natural, you know, way of things. Um, and, you know, just to see, like most of the time when we see the clones, uh, on Camino, it's like, it's very much like a, like an assembly line factory kind of, you know, there's not much about it. That's, that's very, uh, kind of natural feeling. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, then to see a clone, you know, out in a, <laughs> in a more natural space and, you know, um, not taking for granted, you know, kind of the wonder of, of, of nature or just like things that, you know, anybody else would really not even pay attention to, uh, I guess the wonder, and that's, that's kind of the thing that, and, and, in episode three as well, but that's something that's, uh, really bringing a lot of, uh, heart and joy to the show for me is, uh, the, the wonder that Omega expresses at, uh, just kind of basic experiences, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
we also uh, we have the the chain codes um, being implemented here, which I think is a, a cool connection between this show and uh, and the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty sure the chain code was introduced in in Mando. Um, I don't think we'd heard or read about that before, right? Um, no, but I think and, uh, I think it was just like dropped and just. I didn't think about think about it much when I saw it, but uh-huh. yeah, it was. It, I was like, well, that makes sense. It's something the Empire would do. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, um, I, I was looking at the the episode guide on StarWars.com, um, and they compared a chain code to a U.S. social security number, um, mm. which I thought was interesting because, honestly, like I have not really understood what a chain code is or means um, too much. <laughs> uh-huh. So, I mean, I mean, I guess I, you know, understood it was an identifier of some kind. But, um, but yeah, that, that kind of helps, uh, you know, make it a little a little more uh, understandable to me, I suppose. I I would think it's, it's like a social security number on steroids. Like you Mm -hmm. basically, you can't do anything without your chain code. You want to go into someplace, you have to have chain code. It's like, like a little tracking way so they can find anybody and whoever doesn't have a chain code, they'll go after. And so it's like, it's like your passport license, Birth certificate. birth certificate everything all yeah. in one and yeah so i was, I was more, like, wow i was like wow that's like really hardcore tracking and control of people yeah a more authoritarian kind of version of of yeah um of those concepts we're used to uh but it in mando was it that way um or i mean like did we because uh, it was just like for Boba Fett, it was it was just the armor was attached to a chain code or something, right? Wasn't that the? Yeah, but I will, I was I was thinking that that chain that chain code was a different chain chain code, perhaps it was um about his family lineage or something. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's I need to just rewatch some of I I mean I need to rewatch Mando season 1 and season 2. Um whenever season 3 comes out before that. Um but I think like recontextualizing that stuff after seeing this um because I'm I'm kind of where John was at where I was like, "Oh, this is an identifier thing." And then I'm like thinking about like wait, so because there's that part where like Boba Fett like he's like does something with like Django's chain code or he shows. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember what even happens there. I think, I think he like, it, it shows up that there's Django and then there's whoever was before Django and it's kind of like this family line. Yeah. It, but, but he, but he says that Django, Django was a, was Django a foundling as well? I'm trying to remember. Cause he wasn't, because mm. some Mandalorians, that's right. Cause Django wasn't like, pure blood Mandalorian is kind of like Harry Potter. We have the, uh, the pure blood wizards and a non pure blood wizards. And I think some of the death watch people didn't view Boba Django Fett as true Mandalorian because he wasn't of like an actual real line. He was one of the foundlings or something, but um, yeah. And I think his origin has also like changed in like the Disney era because his was like different in the like dark horse comics um, back in the day and now it's just like it's all just this big muddled blob in my brain right now and yeah, I can't I, even like I can't put distinguish all them. these pieces together and because I'm like wait if they're talking about Django's chain code like why would Django have a chain code he's already dead by yeah. the time 
these chain codes started. Yeah, so. he was killed in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> it was right. Like, like, <laughs> so. like 15, 10, 10 years, 10 years before that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so time ago. Yeah, I need to just like rewatch that to kind of re understand because I still don't like totally understand what all this chain code stuff is. Yeah, so maybe maybe the chain code is like a more kind of generic uh, term for the sort of like format of uh, identifiers, you know, in uh, in the Star Wars galaxy. But then when the Empire takes over, it becomes a more kind of um, what would be the term? It's uh, ma- mandatory. Hmm. It's like. I think maybe yeah. maybe like under the Republic, they're like, well, we you can sign up to have this chain code, and they go like, kind of like at airports, it'll help you expedite going through customs and whatnot. And then the Emperor's just like, no, everybody's got to get a chain code. You can't go off world. You can't do this. And mm. and for the Empire, that's that's a really easy way to to track people, and then you can see wherever they go based on their chain code. And so maybe the empire's purpose to try to, to limit the movement of people as much as they can, because if you keep people from moving, they're less apt to maybe disrupt authority. Mm. Yeah, that could be, that could be, or just, uh, you know, to be, um, you know, I was thinking it kind of creates a little more of a surveillance state kind of scenario too, you know, where they can track you or follow you, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, through those chain codes too. So yeah, for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. That's more than I've ever thought about chain codes. Uh, so <laughs> that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, I guess, I guess kind of like the, the, the rest of the episode here is, um, is a story about, uh, you know, um, Omega kind of ending up in danger. She doesn't really understand sort of why the rules are, you know, what they are. Um, in this little home setting and, and, uh, she ends up getting herself in a, in a dangerous situation where she's attacked by a, a Nexu uh-huh. or, uh, the naughty, the naughty cat from attack of the clones, as you put it, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't know the name. That's, that's the one yeah. that scratches Padme in the back, right? I think so. It's, yeah. It's the midriff creator. Yeah, that's right. That's the creator. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I knew as I was watching the episode that that's, you know, that it was necessarily meant to, because I think I was looking at the, uh, the episode guide and I, I guess it's like a juvenile next to, or, a uh, like a, yeah, a younger, yeah, it's a smaller one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I necessarily uh, picked up on that. I just thought it was a space monster of some kind, but, um, of course, you know, once the connection's made, it's, it's pretty obvious that that's what it is. Um, yeah, she gets herself into some trouble and, uh, of course it sets up a, a scenario where, um, you know, we see that Hunter is, uh, is, is, I mean, we, I think even from episode one, you know, you, you see that Hunter has uh, a little bit of paternal tendencies in terms of, uh, Omega, right. He's, he's kind of stepping into a fatherhood role with her, um, wanting to keep her safe. And, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty kind of common, um, you know, story structure here, but, uh, or, or I guess a trope or whatever, but, you know, yeah, he kind of overdoes it in terms of, um, well, not disciplining her, but uh, admonishing her for for getting herself into danger, and and uh, has to you know cut kind of has to uh, as you put it here, Ryan, show him how to be a dad a little yeah. bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell him she's not a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and, uh, and and it ultimately leads to Hunter thinking like, 
I, I'm not cut out to be a dad, you know, me and the rest of Clone Force 99, we're really not cut out to, uh, <laughs> to be her family or her parents or whatever. Um, so he tries to, uh, in a well-meaning way, but he, he tries to kind of send her with, uh, with Cut and Sue. Is that, uh, Cut's wife? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, as an audience, it's like, well, we know this is, this isn't gonna, gonna happen. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's, it's heartbreaking a little bit to see, to see that. Um, cause you know, I think as audience members, obviously we want Omega to be with, with Hunter and the Bad Batch. And of course she as a character, uh, wants to be with them too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can, you know, also we can understand where, where Hunter's coming from too, thinking like maybe, maybe we're not the best outfit to, uh, to raise a child. Right. Yeah. He thinks he thinks she needs stability, <laughs> and they're getting, yeah. and she's going to get anything but that with them. Right, right, yeah. And I mean, we see her in uh, in significant danger in this episode. In episode three, we see her in significant danger again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> in reality, she probably would be a lot better off with Cut and uh, and Sue, but um, you know, she's already kind of bonded with uh, with Hunter and. Uh, and the rest of the Bad Batch to a, to a lesser extent, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is the second episode of the show and, and this is the story that's being told, you know? So, um, it's one of the, the, uh, pleasant surprises of the show for me, I think, um, is, is finding out that it's, uh, it's this kind of story, you know, um, or at least, um, many of the episodes are, are going to focus on this kind of storytelling. Um, because one of my concerns when the show was announced as I've, you know, talked about a lot, but one of my concerns was that, uh, it was just going to kind of be action heavy, you know, GI Joe clones, yeah. doing, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, it's, it's kind of a statement, I guess, is what I'm trying to say that the, uh, the second and the third episodes, um, go in a very different direction from that, you know, almost immediately right away in the, uh, in the life of the show. Yeah, I think for me, this is one of those uh, it's impossible to please Star Wars fans moments, um, mm. just as as a fan myself, because I was like, you know, I mean, we talked about this forever, John, about like, this show has to be something more than what we've seen in the trailer. Like, it has to be or like, God, who cares? Like, if it's if it's just like tough dudes going on missions and blowing stuff up and winning like who cares like that's not star wars um but like the and work there's got to be something more we need something more and then they're like okay here's something more and then part of me is um and i i don't think i'm the only one part of me is like this is cool this is depth it's also just feels extremely familiar um mm-hmm. Because it kind of, um, you know, runs runs parallel. It rhymes with, um, you know, stuff from, I would say, stuff from the sequel trilogy with, like, Rey finally getting off, like, her planet and being like, I've never seen so much green or, like, all that. And it's like, well, that's, okay, that's kind of like Omega's um, s- story in a way. Um, and then, obviously, I think, like, the, you know, <laughs> uh, tough dad taking care of um you know uh um somewhat defenseless but with some secret powers um you know younger um younger person and um you know from mandalorian like it's like okay well 
this is this is depth, but like we're we're really kind of kind of hitting some familiar beats. So I'm just I'm wondering about that. And I would say like in the context of the show, like when I'm sitting down and I'm watching the show, I'm like, I like this and I care. And then I think it's when like I kind of zoom out and like I'm done watching and I'm like, well, you know, it's it's a hook, but it's not really it doesn't feel like a as fresh and exciting of a hook to me as like Omega's journey doesn't feel I'm not as invested in it as I was Ray's story when that was like, whoa, this person like is discovering this stuff about themselves and they're like off, which I mean, I guess is just in a lot of ways is just Luke's story um, or Anakin's story. And I guess that's just Star Wars. But I think it's I think it's more like it's just this coming so close to Mando and hitting like a lot of the same themes. Um, you know, I enjoy it in the context of the show, but then when like we zoom out, I'm like, I don't, I'm not like as hooked. I'm not as invested as I am in like the story of Grogu and Din, for example. Mm. I, I I can, yeah, I, I will admit when I first saw episode two and Omega chooses to come back and I was like, Oh, this is, I had the same Mandel vibes, but then thinking about it now and hearing you talk about it, I thought there's a really cool reversal with the situation of Bad Batch and Omega. In The Mandalorian, we see the, throughout the entire first and second seasons, we see Mando trying to find return Grogu to where Grogu belongs, and that's with the Jedi. And then he gives him to Luke, whereas here right away in the second episode we see hunter think no i think omega belongs with cut and his his family and then omega unlike i mean we don't know if grogu is going to come back to the mando or not but omega immediately goes no i don't want to do that and she comes right back and so instead of the whole journey of trying to find a place where omega belongs they give us that and then omega's like no i'm not going to do it and then she comes back and so Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not having the same repeat of the Mando. We're we're trying to find a place for this young defenseless person. That young defenseless person is more of a, I want to say, taking initiative and making their own choices. We didn't really know what Grogu was trying to do until Ahsoka appears and Ahsoka is able to mm-hmm. inform us of what he's thinking. Whereas Omega is very, she's very outspoken. She says her piece. She interacts with people, and I think with a really good example of how much of an individual she already is is the fact that when she's trying to play with the kids, she doesn't know how to play with kids. She's never been around with kids. She's only been around adults. And so she says things that the kids are like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so I, th- it, it definitely has a lot of the same beats, and it rhymes with The Mandalorian. But I think they've done a nice way in – completely reversing it and creating an alternate version of that, that at least for me is makes me really care and invested. And we have to remember that Omega and the bad batch, none of them were born of real parents. And so when in the first episode, when Hunter goes, where are your parents? And Omega's like, what are parents? And it's like, yeah. and so it, it's, 
her learning to be a kid and then the bad batch are like well we never had parents but now we're kind of having to be parents ourselves and cut has learned how to be a parent because he married somebody who came from people of parents and so he's kind of like that example that they're going to look up to but i think i think it's it it rhymes but it's it's got a lot of different variations to it that if I was going to borrow a music analogy, it's like Baroque music. So like a Baroque music, you have your Allegro and you have your, you have your fast, slow, fast. And so all the Baroque pieces are all composed in the same way, but it's how you take that structure and make all your variations on it. And I think seeing Luke's story repeated, well, Anakin's story, and then it's repeated with Luke and then it's repeated with Ray. Mm-hmm. It's just like a Baroque type of piece. You have that set musical form, and then you're just making your own variations of it. And that's mm-hmm. why Vivaldi and Bach are, and all these different composers of that period, well, specifically Italian ones, they all compose very similarly. But you hear one, and you're like, oh, I know that's Vivaldi, and I know that's Albinoni or something. It's It's got a nice variation on the same thing, and which I, the core makes it Star Wars. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, this is one of the the topics that um, we were maybe going to discuss at the, at, uh, towards the end of the show, but we're, you know, we're talking about it now, which is good. Um, to me, it, it, it's like, okay, you know, as you both said, as I'm watching the show, I'm identifying, well, this is well-tread ground in Star Wars. You know what I mean, we've been here before um, in terms of the general kind of structure and, and the themes and things. Um, but the dynamics of it and the the individual pieces um, and, and that sort of thing are different enough that I'm that I'm finding it you know pretty interesting. And um, Ryan, I remember we talked about this a lot leading up to Episode Nine, you know, with uh, with with Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, and mm-hmm. uh, I was like, well, are they going to redeem him? You know, it's like, can they really do when four, five, and six end with the villain being redeemed? Like, are we really just going to in in seven, eight, nine? Are we really just going to lead up to the same ending, you know? Um, but when I watch, you know, the rise of Skywalker, I doesn't really feel very similar to <laughs> return of the Jedi at all, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of what happens. So, I mean, yeah, it's a familiar theme, but, um, the way that story is told is, is uh, different enough uh, that, you know, it's still, it's still interesting to me, I think. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's certainly that, that symmetry between the, you know, the paternal, you know, kind of feelings of the, of the, of the Mando or, or of, uh, of Hunter and, um, you know, in, in, in this, you know, childlike wonder expressed in, in Grogu and, and in Omega. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I think as Dave was saying, there's, there's enough variation in, in the story being told and in the way it's being told and that kind of thing that, um, that it, that it makes it interesting to me. And, you know, I just remember when we first kind of, when, when Omega was first revealed, um, in, in that trailer, I think it was in a trailer, right. That the, mm, we saw Omega, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and not, not too long ago either, maybe a month or two ago. Well, yeah, two it months was really ago. Recent. It was really recent. Yeah. Um, it was like, Oh wow, this is really interesting. You know, it's a totally, it's a new dynamic and a new component being introduced into the show that I just think is super necessary. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, so it's like, well, you know, um, could they have, could they have uh, explored a, a different kind of story, um, and, and maybe tackled some different, you know, themes or something like that. Sure. But I think with this, <laughs> with this, 
uh, group of characters. Um, you know, it's just so interesting. I mean, clones, like, like Dave was saying, clones, you know, having been raised or created and having had such a different experience than, uh, you know, anybody else, um, to, and to introduce the, the parent child dynamic into those characters lives is just, I, I mean, for that reason alone, it's something new and, and, and I think pretty interesting because, um, you know, that's not something they're familiar with. Right. And I think the, uh, I, I don't know the name of the episode with, uh, with, with cut, um, from, from the original Clone Wars. I think it was um, the fugitive. Was okay. What they mm. called it. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that one, but I have seen that episode multiple times. And I mean, that's easily one of the standout episodes of, of the show to me, like one that yeah. comes to mind right away. One of the most memorable and affecting episodes. And I think, you know, it's because, uh, with I mean, when you have characters that are clones and that is the nature of the character, um, you know, anytime you kind of put them into a position where, you know, they're wrestling with the fact that, that they were not created and raised um, and they don't come from the same, you know, kind of uh, background that, that other human characters do. Uh, that's just really, you know, rich uh, ground to kind of uh, explore, you know? Um, and, and I mean, we've been talking about it for, <laughs> we've already talked about it in this episode. We've talked about it, mm-hmm. you know, for years previously, but to me, clones out there fighting wars, like just doing cool clone stuff is, that's not what I'm interested in. So mm-hmm. the fact that the show's really leaning into like, what does it mean to be a clone? And, um, and, and, and I know the Clone Wars did that too, right? Which was great, but this is really doing it in a different way. Um, and, uh, I think without Omega and without these daddy daughter, <laughs> um, kind of storytelling choices, uh, we, we maybe would be leaning more into something retreading the ground of the Clone Wars, you know? So that's mm-hmm. maybe another way to think of it too. It's like, okay, is this retreading ground that we've seen in other Star Wars storytelling? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's, it's likely that maybe it would be, you know, the storytelling would be more similar um, and repetitive to mm. Clone Wars episodes from the Clone Wars show if we didn't, take this route you know and so i'm kind of yeah well i'll stop now but i'm i'm thankful (laughs) for that i'm happy about that (laughs) yeah and i also want to say like that's just kind of that's one of the hooks um in this in this show and the the part that um you know wasn't really communicated very well in the early marketing materials which gave us some pause um you know about the show i think and but the other hook and the one that gets me more um because i'm i guess one of the weirdos who's interested in like the politics and the systems and structures of star wars and i know like everyone gets mad when they talk about like taxation and stuff um i'm all for for that i like that too (laughs) i love it i think that like that gives um you know that's what i love about the prequels um Mm. you know everything you know the the prequels have some problems um but you know that stuff like really hooked me and like really got me thinking about that stuff and so i think what i really like um and it starts to get introduced um you know, right from the right from the pilot episode is like the, you know, the burgeoning empire. And, you know, we've seen what 
you know, life under the Empire looks like. We saw that really, like, well explored in Rebels um, and, you know, and in the original trilogy to some degree. But Rebels really got, like, the, um, you know, what's it like for people on the ground um, kind of thing. Like, what's it like for your average people who aren't, like you know, space wizards um, flying around and blowing stuff up. Like, um, so what I really like that this show is doing is like it showing the, you know, the empire coming to power and how it's like affecting um, people on the ground, which it does a little bit. Um, But then also like, how it's affecting the systems that were in place in the prequel trilogy, like the um, specifically around the cloning, because that's always been like a huge question. Like as with all questions in star Wars, did it need to be answered? Probably not, but we're, you know, we're getting new star Wars in this era. So you might as well, um, as as you're while you're here, you might as well talk about this thing that people are wondering about. Um, so I think it's really cool. And this is, I guess, more of like an episode three thing. Um, but as we're talking about like the hooks for us individually, um, I think the, you know, seeing how the clones are being, how the, how Camino itself is being affected by, this new era and then also like how the empire is approaching it and how you know tarkin is kind of spearheading all of this and i guess we can get into that more when we start talking about episode three but yeah that's well, the hook i, think, for I me. think we're probably i think we're we're ready to probably get into episode three don't you yeah. think yeah okay I'm, I'm ready to get into it and i'll just i'll just say i i love all the historical correlations and the real world things that are tied in with the prequels and the clone wars like a good example is all the stuff on mandalore with death watch and the assassination mm-hmm. attempts on uh, duchess satine and they're like being like hardcore mandalorian there's so many echoes of pre-world war ii japan where a lot of people in the states don't know this but there were countless attempts on japanese politicians by far ultra right-wing military factions within military who were like set on restoring what they thought was like true japanese samurai spirit and like watching that i was like wow that's those echoes are there and i'm glad that they're trying to make that stuff and i i agree I, i'm i'm all for seeing how that plays out here in this series that's something i've wanted to see for a long long time i thought are they gonna make a gi bill for the clones and get them educated like the u.s troops mm. after world war ii what are you gonna do with all these guys <laughs> you got a bunch so but yeah let's, yep. let's go on to to episode three yeah, so I mean, uh, really, you know, first thing we have here is uh, certainly related, which is uh, Project War Mantle, which is uh, newly introduced here for sure, right? And and this character, uh, Rampart, Admiral Rampart. Um, That's a great who, name. Because <laughs> you roll the cannon onto the Rampart and blast, the, blast your opponents yeah. to smithereens. That's a great name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and this episode, I mean, it... it uh, it really explores um, kind of where we're going to go as far as uh, how do we integrate clones and, mm. and, uh, and uh, I guess human, um, you know, soldiers into the empire. How's that going to look? What's that going to, how's that going to work? And, and uh, 
obviously Rampart's perspective is um, that the Empire would be better served by inscripting um, human beings. Uh, not that clones aren't human beings, but <laughs> non-clone mm-hmm. human beings, I guess. Yeah. Um, in, in, into service. Um, and and what, what's his, his, his logic is that they would be more loyal. Is that the argument? Because they, they kind of made the decision. Yeah, uh-huh. He he says, he says that they volunteered because they want to. And so he says, you can build on that willingness to serve and train them and further reinforce that loyalty. It was his argument. And I mean, that it's, it's something that hasn't been brought up yet, but I think the one, one thing that's on everybody's minds is that they want the empire to be this long, have longevity and the existing clones because they're accelerated aging. That means you're going to, and this is why I think Tart can keep saying that cloning is cost prohibitive is that mm-hmm. you're going to have to recycle. I, I hate to, I hate to use that word, but you have to recycle out generations of clones to keep your armed forces up because what is it? They, they age double the speed of the normal person. So at 20, yeah, at 10, they're like a 20 year old person at 15, they're 30 year old. And at 20, they're already 40 mm-hmm. by normal standards. So, so the average like service life, that's, I hate saying all these machine terms for clones, mm-hmm. but, um, mm-hmm. there's the, the length of service that they can provide is probably shorter than a normal person, which is, I think they haven't put that out yet, but, I think this is a lot of the logic under Tarkin's push to move away from clones. Okay. Yeah. Because, uh, on the surface, the idea that, well, they will be more loyal. Um, I mean, the way Rampart explains it is logical and, you know, it kind of tracks, but then for me a little bit, you know, you think about it and it's like, well, but for the most part, clones have been extremely loyal, right? I mean, this isn't mm-hmm. very, this isn't much, you know, removed from order 66 and they completely turned on a dime and wiped out the Jedi who they had served with, uh, side by side all throughout the Clone Wars. So the, 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 the lodge, uh, I guess the argument resting on the, the topic of loyalty alone, you know, feels like it's, it's when you think about it, it's a little bit of a weak argument. So there, there kind of needs very, to be more there to justify, well, like, you they, know, they moving took- away from clones, right? They took Crosshair and they ramped up his Order 66 protocol. And so what does <laughs> it say they can't do that with the, all the other clones? Or when the Empire is not there, what's to say that the Kaminoans couldn't put the clones, say, we need to do a medical check on all you guys. They put them in there and then they reverse it and make them disloyal to the Empire and loyal only to Kamino. And uh-huh. that's that's that was something I thought of. And so... And when yep. I thought of that, Tarkin hasn't said it, but this is why I think Tarkin is so anxious to move away from clones is that he views Kamino as a threat. And he mm. he probably has that idea. If I I think Tarkin's a genius, and if I think of that, he's probably he's always so many steps ahead of people. I think that's probably why on the surface he's going along with Rampart's idea because it can kind of placate the Kaminoans, but he realizes there's a threat and Rampart's argument about the loyalty is like you said, it's to me, it was very weak. Mm -hmm. Sounds nice, but weak. (laughs) I I think, I think there's something to it though. 
Um, because I think again with um, you know Star Wars, you know from the from the very beginning. Um, sorry, people who um, say Star Wars shouldn't be political; it's always been political. Um, and I think you know it's it's reflective of our times. Um, and I I think I, right now, you know, living in America in 2021, I can really understand the logic of like hey if you get people who just believe in this thing so strongly if 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 you get people who believe in fascism so strongly it doesn't matter what you know what truth you give them uh what lies you give them they are just going to go with it forever um and because, you know, we have so many of those people here right now um, in America. And I can I can really kind of see that. Like if you get people who are just like, you know, devoted to like the cult of fascism, like they're just going to keep doing it like they're in, um, you know, in for a penny in for a pound. Like they're they're going to go the whole way. And like you can't really uh, can't really change their minds. Um Go ahead. No, no, I was I was just going to rejoin on that. Is I can't remember if what member of the the Nazi high command said it, but if you just keep saying the same lie over and over again, people are just going to accept it as truth. And mm-hmm. actually, today earlier, I was looking at the Star Wars propaganda book. Mm. It's one of my favorite favorite books because I was looking at that, and I also have a book on Japanese propaganda from Japanese World War II. And it's really amazing, like looking at the historical propaganda and then looking at that fake propaganda for fake universe, but they, the motifs are exactly the same. And it's just like you Mm -hmm. said, you just feed the same thing over and over to them and people will buy into it. And to the point that even when they're shown, there's no more reason to believe it they will still and this happened in some cases in Japan even after the war like there was a guy who kept fighting the Philippines for like 20 years because he just mm. so consumed with it and and watching these things happen in America now being outside of America it's hearing what you said is, is so much more clear to me because I'm outside of it yeah I'm looking in and it's like I don't want to get into my, my personal, but I've been asked about that mm-hmm. here. And it's like really mm-hmm. hard to, <laughs> to tell people what to think because I don't even understand it now. <laughs> it's, it's a very, and it's, it's very, and it's really tying it back into Star Wars. They're doing a very good job of reflecting current issues and providing nice hints of it here in Bad Batch. I just, are really in this third episode, especially, is a very, very good example of that type of uh, mindset you just described. And I think, like, what that kind of means for the show um, is, I think, something um, I'm with you, Dave, on something you just uh, mentioned earlier that I think we are going to see a conflict, um, uh, you know, a semi-large scale conflict by the end of the show between 
um, these conscripted soldiers and the clones. I think something this show has kind of decided to shoulder the responsibility for is telling the story of like, why are there not many, you know, it's, this has been happening since like, you know, since the prequels were like, why, you know, are these, are these all clones in a new hope? Like what's going on? Like we see, you know, that stormtrooper bumps his head and then there's like a throwback to that in attack of the clones. And you're like, haha, they must be clones. But then you're like, wait, they're all different like heights and stuff like none of this makes sense because it's a movie made, you know, decades after the original one that, you know, wasn't exactly, you know, it, it wasn't a totally cohesive vision. Um, it wasn't the exact plan. And but so they've tried like explaining that a little bit, but I think this show has really decided like, oh, we're going to like really address this and we're going to explain it. And I think really the only way I can kind of see that like coming to an end um, and like, you know, having clarity around that is I think we'll see the, you know, the the end of cloning in the empire, um, which is already feels like a foregone conclusion from, you know, Tarkin and Rampart's um, discussions and everything. And, but I think we'll see that. I think we will probably see the end of the um, Camino cloning facilities. Um, because now like there's just the, in the past like two or three years, there has just been so much cloning <laughs> happening in Star Wars. And I think like it's kind it's probably kind of getting to the point where like, you know, we, we need to cut off <laughs> the cloning angle or else just like anything can happen or we're going to have like episode 10 with, you know, Luke fighting a- Anakin and stuff like if we just keep going down this like cloning road um it's gonna get like real dumb um so I think we need to um because obviously Palpatine has his own cloning things on the side um which will need to be addressed at some point um but then um I I think we'll probably see the end of the cloning facilities um on Kamino um which again like you know up until you know 2019 like (laughs) we kind of just weren't really talking about cloning as like a possibility in star wars but then you know with um with rise of skywalker and then with some of the stuff in the comics and now this show like cloning's back at like the forefront and it's like a really viable path for the storytelling um so i think we i think we see we see the end of cloning um at least with the camino facilities in this show is my guess i think so too La- yeah i was just saying large scale the large scale cloning will uh right yeah sorry dave no i was just gonna uh, that's something i've i've wanted to see them address this like there's always a debate about what things should be left ex- unexplained what things should be explained mm-hmm. but this is the area where i think explaining everything you have the greatest justification for because you're setting up the original trilogy and i've long wanted to see how this plays out and so 
I, I have to agree. I think we're definitely going to see that big confrontation. We're already getting hints of it, like how the Kaminoans are already starting to, all right, we need to get at least one, we at least have one of these specimens so then we can do our backup plan. And they're already starting to figure out they're not stupid. They have to make money. They have to survive. And so they're starting to act on their own best interest. And that already, I see us setting it up for that clash that's going to happen at some point in this Mm -hmm. uh, series. Yeah, I think this is my favorite uh, episode of the show so far, which, I mean, there's only three episodes, so hey, you know, it's not uh, not a, a, a great honor, I guess, um, in that sense. But, but you know, it's the show has gotten better for me every episode, and this is my favorite so far. And um, I think, you know, I, I as you were discussing that, it's like, yeah, we've got uh, shots here or scenes featuring the, the two Kaminoans. Is it... Uh, is it Lama Sue and, um, uh, oh my gosh, the name is escaping me, but, um, these are the two, yeah, the two you know, kind of, con- yeah. yeah, from Attack of the Clones, right? The same ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, we, we have those two, uh, Kaminoans and, and lots of shots of them kind of walking together, discussing these issues. And then we have shots of, you know, Rampart and, uh, and Tarkin, you know what I mean? So it's like sort of like visually even setting them up as like, you know, opponents, uh, I feel like a little bit, right. And we're seeing that this is where things are headed. There's going to be this conflict between mm-hmm. the Kaminoans or Kaminoans or however we <laughs> pronounce that. I think in, in true Star Wars fashion, uh, it's said both ways maybe, but, uh, you know, the conflict between them and the empire, that's really interesting. Not something I'd anticipated. Um, even this whole question of like, you know, um, how do we kind of, transition from clones into you know uh traditional stormtroopers like that's not something i really expected the show to tackle dave i know that you had reached out to us a couple months back and and predicted that so you saw that coming but i didn't Mm. and these are really interesting questions you know these it's 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 a really interesting um you know material and so i i love that this is this is all kind of being um you know set up in a in in a really interesting way and, and having camino uh, and, uh, and, and the Kaminoans, you know, kind of integral to, uh, this, this story is, is, uh, yeah, it's been really cool. I, th- I think here, cool. here's a good pl- place to, uh, bring up the differences between the Japanese title and the English title of this episode. Mm. So we've been talking about now how this transition away from the clones and to conscripts and I guess people that weren't cloned becoming members of the empire military machine. And that's why I think they went with the name replacements for this episode in mm. English In Japanese. The episode title is elite butai and elite is like, just like English word elite and butai means unit. So the episode title in Japanese is elite unit. And I think the reason they went with this is first, obviously, is that that unit that is put together by Rampart, which Crosshair is made squad leader of. And we have the interesting conflict between that one really like hotshot guy who who's, uh, thinks that he's going to take Crosshair's place and then ends up Crosshair. He, he, can't, he can't do what Crosshair is asking him to, which is kill civilians, and then Crosshair kills him. I think because Crosshair wants to assert his uh, supremacy amongst these people and show them that, hey, you're second to me because I'm a clone. I was made to do this. It, but in Naming It Elite unit for the Japanese title, you have that unit there, but also you have the fact that the Bad Batch themselves are elite unit. And so 
that mm. huge contrast between English title and Japanese title. I mean, I don't don't know if Japanese. I, ha- I will have to check on what Japanese fans' reactions were to this, but that was a really major gap that I thought was very interesting because watching in English and seeing replacements, my mind instantly goes to the discussion we just had. Whereas when I saw Elite Butai in Japanese, I was like, wait a second. And then watching the episode, I'm like, oh, so this is the Elite unit. But wait a second, also the Bad Batch are in the Elite unit. And so there was a lot, there was just throughout the entire episode, (laughs) that was like my mind was in this tug of war between all these different connotations that were hinted at by the titles in each language. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I feel like the uh, the English title is um, uh, just so you know, kind of on the nose um, mm. or whatever. Uh, in terms of like, well, this is what they want to do. They want to replace the clones with uh, with stormtroopers, or you know. Um, but uh, yeah, the 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 Japanese title there, um, little little less obvious, I guess you'd say. Open to interpretation. Um, yeah, exactly. Very, open to interpretation. Right, right, right. Very Japanese. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> for better or for worse, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what I struggle with um, every day. <laughs> <laughs> on the topic of uh of crosshair killing uh civilians and, and killing the the uh, soldier who who didn't want to do that. Um uh, you know, one thing I've been wondering about as I'm, you know, watching his story unfold, I guess, and, and maybe there's maybe this is more um evident than than I'm picking up on, but you know, it it, it it kind of begs the question of, um, you know, how much of this is crosshairs nature, um, mm-hmm. you know, and how much of it is the fact that they're, uh, what ramping up his inhibitor chip or kind of like amping that up so that he's, he's more controlled. Um, do you guys have thoughts on, on that topic? This is another one I love kind of exploring and I think it's, uh, I think it's tricky. Um, it and I think it's tricky. controversial. Um, but again, like if like all I can kind of relate this to is, you know, the Star Wars I've seen before and, you know, just uh, my experiences and things that are top of mind for me right now. And this makes me think, again, bringing it back to like, you know, contemporary politics and such like, you know, just over the past like couple weeks, um, we've been I've been seeing um, in the news like this discussion of I think they're calling it foxitis, um, where people have you know adapted these like conspiracy theory beliefs, and um, you know it's they've it's sometimes like turned them violent, and you know this is being one of the defenses being used for some of the rioters in the January 6th attack on the Capitol and they're in the defenses like they've been brainwashed by Fox News and that's why they're doing these things this is not who these people are it's because they watch Fox News that has made them like this and like they've actually like coined a term and stuff so I think that's like one of those just interesting things to explore um and then like on the Star Wars side of things like um, you know, when we when we discuss like who deserves redemption and how and, you know, I think it was like they kind of like <laughs> telegraphed a bit like at the beginning, like 
uh, this is probably going to be a crosshair redemption story. And it's, you know, it's the stuff we've seen with Anakin and Ben and, um, you know, over on resistance, Tam, um, and like, you know, can, you know, can these people who make these like, you know, bad choices, can they be redeemed? And like, like, what is the, what is the cutoff? <laughs> like as viewers, like, where do we, you know, draw the line of like, okay, well, this person, you know, they, they killed these people and that, that sucks. Uh, but I think they're still like good in them. They can still be redeemed. And then there's like, there's always that like bridge too far. And I think this was something that was happening a lot during, um, you know, the, the Ben Solo discussions um, in the sequel trilogy where some people were like, dude killed Han Solo. I want him like, I want Luke Skywalker to cut his head off um, kind of thing. And other people were like, no, like it's not his fault. Like he's, he's good. And um, you know, he's, he's being torn apart. Like, um, Etc. And there's this like whole thing where, you know, people have kind of their own personal, um, you know, thresholds for redemption. And I think like, so going back to Crosshair, um, I think, you know, his actions in episode three, I think are going to be a threshold for some people <laughs> mm. um because i think you know and i think for me maybe um you know him w- we kind of got this like well it's it's not really his fault it's this chip and then but still like we we saw him killing civilians when there's other people being like hey these are civilians don't kill them. And then, you know, also one person doesn't go along with it. They get killed. And then the other soldiers, they go along with it and they're kind of complicit as well. So like, you know, I think that kind of, (laughs) you know, tells, goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the clones versus um, conscripted soldiers where like those other three people who were like cool with killing civilians and did it um, they actually pulled the trigger like they didn't have inhibitor chips in them <laughs> there was there was no like order 66 of civilians happening there that they just like believed that stuff and they just did it and I think that's really interesting and uh, kind of terrifying um, it's like a really, really dark place for Star Wars to go, I think. Yeah, that was really, I was, I wouldn't say taken aback, but when when they get, because the, they, they take out pretty much everybody in Saw's group, and then you have those civilians there, and then when Crosshair tells him to kill, kill them all, I, <laughs> the original orders at least from what I remember after watching it twice, was that Tarkin told him there to get Saw Gerrera's men and take them out. And Mm -hmm. the civilians, I don't think, and this is why I think the one guy rejected carrying out the order. He's like, I didn't come here to do this. We came here to 
destroy Sagrera's men. We have achieved our mission. Therefore, we can go back. And I was really torn about this because I kept thinking back to what Omega says. I know it's not you. You're doing it because of your programming. But I almost think that Crosshair, even even with the programming, I think he made this conscious choice to do this. To kill the civilians, partly because I reflecting back on other episodes we saw on season seven and him being the sniper guy snipers by trade tend to be pretty cold Mm -hmm. and so of all of the four bad batch members we have i mean hunter is very very human tech is very human in his own way even though he's always spouting off data and stuff he's still mindful of other people and then now with echo he was originally a reg, and even with all of his program well, machine parts I've added to him, he's still very human. And then Wreckers, they're just the big kid. Mm-hmm. But Crosshair always seemed to me to be the odd bunch of them. And he's he's got that cold streak, and I kind of think that he went beyond the programming and did this because he wanted to and to set an example as I said before to show the other people I'm the boss and I make the rules and anybody who doesn't total line with me is going to end up like this guy so I don't know if the three people who killed the civilians did it because they didn't care I kind of think that they were intimidated by Crosshair and they killed the civilians but Mm. once they've killed the civilians it becomes easier for them to do this in in future experiences. And the reason I say that is um, in my own reading of uh, accounts of Japanese soldiers from World War II and documentaries I've seen of Japanese soldiers talking about their experiences. This man who went, he was dispatched to China. He said the very first thing that he was ordered to do when he got to China was to bayonet a prisoner. And he had never killed a man and the guy was unarmed and he had his NCO screaming at him, run him through now. And he looked at his NCO and he said, the guy had eyes like a tiger. It wasn't human eyes. And he said, I didn't want to do it, but if I didn't do it, I was going to get beat to a pulp by my NCO. And so he did it. And he said, once he did it, he realized how easy it was to take human life. And after that, he was desensitized. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have, he didn't think about it as much anymore. And so I think Crosshair doing that, in effect, he desensitized these other people. And so it was a very dark, dark moment. And I might be different than the audience because when I saw that, those accounts I had read of Japanese soldiers in World War II instantly came to mind of them mm. being as part of their initial training when arriving on the front was killing POWs. And so it was <laughs> in the third episode, I was really on an artistic and narrative level. I was really happy to see them go there. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this is something on Disney plus and this is star Wars. I was, I was like, I can't think of a moment where we've gone so dark and it wasn't Sith Jedi 
Mm-hmm. That was very powerful moment. John, yeah. where did you land on this? Uh, well, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, it, it does remind me of the opening scene of The Force Awakens uh, a little bit, you know, mm. which, um, because that's that's our introduction to Kylo Ren and, uh, and also Finn, right? And, uh, of course, Finn, you know, chooses not to kill innocent people and, 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 uh, you know, can't bring himself to do that. But also it's our, our introduction to the villain Kylo Ren and we see him do, I mean, obviously later on in the force awakens, he does something arguably worse and more evil. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but like right away, it's like, well, he's, he's willing to slaughter, you know, innocent, you know, an entire innocent village. He orders it, you know, so, um, there's some similarities there. It's interesting though, because in the, in the force awakens, you know, like that is, uh, it's dark there in the opening of the force awakens and it's, uh, impactful and, and everything. Um, but this is, uh, this was framed much more close quarters, you know what I mean? Close up mm-hmm. shots. And, uh, again, I almost, you know, maybe it's a little more painful or dark or whatever, uh, here. And, uh, obviously they don't cut to the, to the, the reverse angle to see the victims being killed. You just, mm-hmm. you know, see the faces of the soldiers, I guess, or the helmets of the soldiers. And if I'm remembering correctly and you hear the the blasters, but you know, you don't actually see them die, thankfully. But uh, yeah, it's a little more intimate, I guess, because it's uh, a smaller number of people. And, uh, and like I said, it's in, in kind of more tightly framed and in ups and medium shots and stuff like that. So um, I think it's a, uh, it's a little more personal maybe um, on that level. And then just in terms of, um, you know, whether or not he can be crosshair, if he'll, he'll be redeemed or, or, or not even if he'll be redeemed, but you know, is, is this his nature versus his programming, that kind of thing? Um, you know, it's, it, 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 <laughs> it's interesting because I, I think it, 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 the the whole ta- the whole concept of of you know can the clones are the clones making as Dave said like is he's making this choice he's he's doing this it's not like you know um, his chip is being flipped necessarily like Order sixty six I just feel like they they said okay do this specific thing right now um, I guess it did you know kind of completely change their not their personalities necessarily but it did sort of re uh, formulate you know, who they, what they viewed as right and wrong and who they viewed as good and bad or, or, you know, uh, whatever. But I, I think it, 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 with Crosshair, it feels like something separate from just, well, my chip is telling me, you know, I have to do this thing. Um, and, and so I think long way of getting here, but I think what this brings up as a possibility is really interesting in terms of, Hey, these are clones, right? They're all made from Django fat. They should all be kind of the same you know? Um, and obviously that's one of the things about the bad batch is like, wow, they're defective. They're not like as, as much the same, you know, as, as all these other clones are. But, uh, it, 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 again, you know, if you have this guy crosshair who has this kind of villainous or evil component to him, but he's supposed to be a clone just like everybody else, you know, it forces us to kind of, I, I think, uh, question, the uniformity of the clones and uh, mm. it humanizes them a little bit. You know, I mean, I guess you have to take one and, and, and make him evil, which is dehumanizing. But mm-hmm. um, for every other clone that doesn't take the route that crosshair does, um, then that, that is, you know, the opposite for them. And uh, 
So I think it's more interesting if it's not just the chip, you know what I mean? Um, I also think narratively speaking, that chip is a pretty good get out of jail free card. If they do want to like redeem him in the end. And I think they probably will because that's where star Wars usually goes. Yeah. Um, but, but still it's, it's pretty compelling to, to sort of that the show is raising these questions and, and it does force us to consider that kind of stuff, right? Like, well, if he can be evil, then they're not really all the same, you know? Um, and obviously like, well, Hey, Hunter can track things and crosshair is really Mm -hmm. good at shooting. And I mean, they have these different skills or whatever, but that's more superficial, I think, than what is their nature? You know what I mean? As people like what's, what's in their nature. And so, yeah, having one who, who seems to have this more evil nature, um, it's probably going to take us some places. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, um, I guess a couple other things to to discuss here. I mean, plot-wise, they have this whole thing with the capacitor and the ship crashes, and then they get they got to get the <laughs> capacitor, and you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it kind Empire of strikes back vibes going out. Oh yeah, expecting a ship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and also major second episode of Bad Batch vibes too, where it's like a little bit of uh, Omega you know, Get wanting to go along and Hey, I'm part of the crew too. And I'm like, dad, do not let her go out there. What are you talking about? Like, she's a kid. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, she saves the day, um, shows her kind of character and, uh, her qualities and that she's, she's uh, willing to do the kind of dangerous thing or selfless thing or be brave, all those things. Right. So, um, you know, that was all great. Uh, but, um, I think, you know, what's left in this episode that's really interesting to think about is the whole Kaminoan like pivot to we have to make some new clones from somebody other than Django. Um, and then also, you know, to me, like I said before, I, I really like what happens with Wrecker at the end and at the end uh, of this episode too. That was great. Like I loved how they they set it up that it might be his chip is going to be effective because at uh-huh. the very beginning you have tech pull out some device that he's developed. He's like, I think this will help us in case our chips go <laughs> wrong. We can prevent that from happening. If we put this on is so when records starts saying, Oh, my head's not feeling right. I was like, uh Oh, uh Oh, is this, yeah. is it? and then like, I was like, Oh God, thank God. Omega didn't stay in the ship because that, they were setting it up to make us think that records chip is going to go bad. And then he might try to kill Omega and at the end when we realize he's kind of pretending to be sick so he didn't have to go along and he could do something for her i i just had to applaud and i was like that that was some great great faint and excellent way to set something up and completely mislead us have us think one thing and then in the end just completely surprise us with wrecker showing us that he is a really soft at heart yeah 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 and and like i loved watching his reaction to to her like um looking at the room that he made for her because he's like well do you like it you know and you could see that like he really wanted her to like it and and yeah there's just this this kind of like a wholesomeness to that which um which i really enjoyed and it's different from the uh the normal uh i just like to smash things component of his personality of course um so i I love that moment and and again like i like seeing omega 
delight in these more human experiences. I think I mentioned that earlier and just the idea of like, well, I've never had my own room before, you know, and it's my own space. And, um, I thought that was, that was great. And, and, uh, Zeb, uh, Zeb, <laughs> Wrecker, in that moment at the end of this episode, <laughs> Freudian slip. Well, it was intentional cause that's where I was going, but yeah, okay. <laughs> um, it, 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 I, I, in, in that moment, I was like, oh, maybe he has a lot of the qualities or he can have a lot of the qualities that I really liked about Zeb, you know, because Zeb is is this is very similar kind of archetype, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, just likes to smash stormtroopers heads together. And, you know, he's Blow a big brutish whatever. Camp. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved Zeb, you know, but he's just he's toned down a little bit compared in comparison to Wrecker, <laughs> who's like, you know, every setting is two eleven on him in terms of the the character traits. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I got the big Zeb vibes there and I found it, uh, really, really nice. And, and, uh, it added, a another layer to that character. And, and, uh, I think I might be able to, uh, be on board with Wrecker from here on out. We'll see what they do with them. I'm sure there's still going to be some, some, uh, heavy obnoxious moments, but, um, if, if they can balance that out with more moments like this one, then I think, I'll, I'll be able to enjoy a uh, wrecker a lot more. Definitely. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, this episode made me, I enjoyed wrecker, but this is the episode where I really thought, okay, they've, they fleshed him out more than I expected them to do. And I was really happy to see that. Yeah. Now I'm just waiting for Ryan to, I feel like he's holding himself back because he's like, no, he still sucks, but he's, but you're not saying it, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm still not sold. I think they're, <laughs> I don't know. This is just, you know, this is me being in my head and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like looking at the show and I'm like, you're trying to get me to like Wrecker. I'm not falling for it. Like, this is all really contrived. I'm nope. You can't fool me um, is kind of where I'm at. So we'll see if I come along to this character. I still just I just don't like him. Like, <laughs> like even when he's, you know, just like when he's talking and like his like all shucks moment at the end, like it's it's uh, uh, not not like not my style of character. I like in fiction, I think. Um, maybe they'll get me. Maybe they'll get me. M- maybe when he dies, I, 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 I don't know. I kind of think <laughs> if if I had to pick one met member of the Bad Batch, I think that they're going to sacrifice. I think it might be Wrecker. Ooh. Yeah, and just something tells me he's gonna. They're going to be in a bind, and somebody's going to have to use some do some feat of superhuman strength, and it's going to be Wrecker. But in doing that. He's gonna die while everybody else gets away. I, I, just, something, something tells me that that's what's gonna happen. It's almost like maybe they presented him um, as intentionally obnoxious and annoying early on, you know, so that you'd start out kind of hating him, um, mm-hmm. and then they're gonna soften you up to him throughout the show, and then you know, kind of do the noble sacrifice thing, and it'll be that much more kind of wrenching. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I didn't like this guy, and now I do, and now he's gone. Uh, yeah. Who knows? But uh, I could totally see it going that way. And I think, like Dave, you'll be able to relate to this because um, this happens. I think a lot in like 
Japanese uh, entertainment, oh, yeah. specifically like like oh, yeah. shonen anime, shonen manga, Japanese RPGs, that sort of thing, where you get this like really just like obnoxious like meathead like warrior character um, in whatever setting it is, and then like they just like they just gradually peel back layers and layers and then like you're like 60 hours into like some like tales of game or something or like bleach or naruto or whatever and then like you're like man i i don't like this character i don't like this character and then like all of a sudden there's just like one moment and you're like oh i love this character <laughs> yep no, i was i was thinking of mugen and samurai champloo and okay and he is just so obnoxious because he he just so full of himself and he's always saying annoying things and then it's only when they I think it's like episode 15 they get into his past a bit and then you're mm-hmm. like whoa he's he's got he's got some serious baggage and then that's because up until that point my favorite character in the series was Jin the the uh, bespeckled quiet samurai guy who's kind of philosophical but then once he got, yeah, he, just like you said, that's a really big archetype in all kinds of Japanese TV shows, manga, drama. It, I, I see it on TV here all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, that's, I think that might be another reason why I'm kind of cutting record slack because I'm just already conditioned to the type of character. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I don't know. It's really funny because now I'm thinking about like in, you know, in in Final Fantasy VII, um, I think you get you get Barrett. Barrett is very, exactly right, record. <laughs> is is exactly this character, is, and then you get to he the point like where him. you he looks like him. He does, and then you get to the point where like you you find out about Marlene, his daughter, mm-hmm. and yep. then you have this complete different perspective on that character for the rest of rest of the game. Yeah. Cause and he's, he's on clouds ass the entire first part. And you're just like, what is yeah. this problem? <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, yep. <laughs> All right. Hey, what, um, what do we think about the, uh, the Django genetic material degrading that whole thing? Like, do you guys have predictions as far as uh, what's going to happen with that? I, that was, that that really had me thinking because like i mean i i don't know in real life here in and the earth like when you say save dna or like you freeze a cryogenically freeze or something if it like just naturally decays over time because it's not within a human body but when they said that it's decaying it i i felt like they were implying that the quality of the clones that we are producing now aren't as good as our first generation. And I think that's kind of like why Rex and guys, Rex and fives specifically are like such really special clones because they're probably closest to what Django Fett was. And I think that the person they might want to use as their next base for cloning people will be crosshair because Mm. they said they only needed one Mm. of one of the, the five and with crosshair this will go back a little to our discussion is crosshair like that by nature not by his programming i can see the 
I, I say Kaminoans because it's Kamino and not Kaminoans. Yeah. But, but um, I can see the Kaminoans using crosshair and as the base for their next crop of clones and going to the Empire and say, look, you sent him out in this mission. Not only did he do the mission, he went above and beyond the mission. He's completely loyal. He's got all these incredible traits. He is a bread killer. You want to strike terror into systems throughout the galaxy. This is the type of soldier you need. Not the the dumbass guys who can't hit the broad broadside of a barn. Yeah. With a blaster. I kind of think that's where they're headed and that's going to be their sales pitch to protect their interest and try to keep themselves relevant to the empire. But at least that that's the, the comments the Kaminoans made at the end of the episode, that's the train of thought that I went on after hearing those. Hmm. Interesting. That, yeah, I could, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I was thinking it had to be like a new source, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, a, 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 diff, a non-clone source, you know what I mean? I guess uh, is, is what I was thinking, but... Um, a force, force user? <laughs> well, potentially... Um, but no, I don't know. I just, I just thought, you know, well, okay, well, um, any of the clones currently are already kind of, you know, how many steps, uh, away from the original source of the DNA or whatever, you know what I mean? The genetic Mm -hmm. material. So, um, rather than, than, you know, try to get back to a, like a better Django clone, um, they would, they would go with someone new and then, you know, that, that, is intriguing because like who who would it be who would they you know but i really you know i really don't know (laughs) um yeah ryan did you have yeah i'm just thinking about this i think these are like really interesting ideas that um you know both of you have here um and i'm just i'm wondering what the end result is though because we know like we know the original trilogy (laughs) like we know um that there really aren't like super <laughs> dangerous, scary stormtroopers in the OT. Like they they don't exist. Um, they're you know they're they're kind of all hacks. And but what I'm what I'm wondering is if maybe whatever is you know whatever the last gasp of the Kaminoans is here to like you know their last chance at like relevancy to make their army if that um kind of manifests as the death troopers that we see in rogue one you took the words out of my mouth that was where i was thinking too okay (laughs) i was just thinking the same thing as you were talking i was like death troopers because they're really the only like the only kind of intimidating troopers and there's not many of them they're not many um no and they're all like the same height. They're all bigger. Yeah. Hmm. That'll be. Yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely interesting. I know Dave, you had mentioned earlier that, uh, we might see the destruction of Camino here. Um, that, uh, you know, that the, the, the Caminoans, um, you know, kind of scheming against the empire is, I think probably likely to end in their, their destruction, you know, um, even though they're, they're right to do it, but they're probably not going to win going up against the empire. Um, 
Yeah. So I think whatever it is that they do end up, you know, doing as far as a new source for clone, new style of clone, whatever, um, you know, they may all be uh, destroyed as well. Um, and uh, it, it could end up being that they they create these clones um, maybe initially with the intention of, of selling them to the Empire or whatever, but then if the Empire chooses not to, um, you know, go that route, then perhaps the Kaminoans uh, use them in attempt to use them in their own defense too. You know what I mean? Against the empire. Um, if, if it leads to some kind of war between <laughs> the Kaminoans and, uh, and the empire or something like that battle, I guess not, not, you know, war, but mm. and I don't know. Somehow, somehow they could end, we could end up seeing Krennic mm. mm-hmm. in this as well, which is just always nice. <laughs> yeah. And then I was thinking, of course, too, I bet it's likely that we'll uh, we'll see some clones in the Obi-Wan show um, also, you know. Mm, uh, I could see that. Because yeah. I think, well, I don't know if this is Disney canon or if this is stuff of the legends, but I think like guys like Cody were kept on to train the regular mm. stormtroopers. And... I'm pretty sure I can't remember where I read that, but um, there's another thing where I I think that Cody was still around, and there's a scene specifically in Rebels that made me think that we were given a shot of Cody because Commander Cody, his unit was yellow, and it was one of the was it third fourth season one of the episodes with Saw Gerrera, and they encountered these jetpack troopers for the Empire. And there's this one scene where there's a group of these jetpack troopers running down the hall. And for some reason, they do a close-up of this guy's shoulder pad, and it's yellow. And that instantly made me think, oh, that might be Cody, because Cody was kept on to train the new Imperial Army. And this is, I mean, this will set up things maybe down, down the road, but like with likes of Rex and the Bad Batch, what if they run into clones that they were previously worked with, mm-hmm. but are going to have to fight them now because those clones haven't had their chips removed. Whereas Rex and the bad, well, the bad batch are kind of <laughs> a breed apart, but Rex has had his chip removed. And so he's going to, it's just, it's just, there's a lot of really interesting dyna- dynamics that could be at work and, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, well, I think, you know, we've kind of covered uh, definitely both episodes here, two and three. Um, do I mean, we have some topics here we can discuss as well um, if we want to tackle those. Or uh, I feel like we, <laughs> I looked at the show notes and it was like, here's a bullet-pointed <laughs> list of just, you know, observations <laughs> about the episodes. But obviously, um, in a really great way, we've ended up exploring a lot of uh larger topics, uh, around, you know, these, uh, kind of plot points and stuff. So, um, but, uh, we can, we can discuss some of these, these topics too, that, uh, that we've added as well. If we want to do that. I think the only one we didn't really hit in our conversation naturally was this, uh, second one here, John. Um, okay. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you kind of frame that what you were thinking there? 
Well, that's from Dave. So, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, I didn't come up with that. Are you oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I I just assumed you make the notes for oh, this, the, but the, wow. But, but the clones and the force and individuality. Yeah. 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 Well, the re- the reason I brought that up is because this will go back to the very very first episode in season one of the Clone Wars. That great scene where Yoda is in the cave with those um, Commander Tyre and a couple other clones, and they're trying to meet up. What's what's the guy Tridarian, the Kingdom of the Tridarians? I can't remember his name, but um, they're taking a break, and Yoda asked the clones to take their helmets off, and they're like, "Well, what's the point? We all have the same face." And then when they do that, Yoda's like, "No, each of you has a very." unique presence in the force and that always really stuck with me because mm-hmm. if and as, as Yoda says to Luke in, in uh, Empire Strikes Back he's like life creates it makes it grow and so yes the clones are synthetically made but they're still life and so therefore they contribute to the living force and I think this is just my take on it, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think. But I've I've felt because of them having a unique presence in the living force, and we're being told this in the very first episode of the Clone Wars series, I always thought that was really setting us up to treat the clones as individuals. And we see throughout the entire series, we're introduced to a number of clones that have very distinct personalities. Like, there's Waxer and Boyle in the Ryloth arcs. There's... Um, most obviously, Captain Rex, just not only my favorite clone, but just one of my favorite Star Wars characters in general. And Fives is another really great example. And then there's Jesse and just all these characters. They have really unique traits. The Umbar arc, we see all these 501st members with all very different traits themselves. And I, I just wonder, like, did Order 66 deprive them of their unique presence in the force it's it's something that i don't think anybody's really ever brought up and it's something that they've never really directly addressed i feel in any of the star wars material since that first episode of clone wars but i was just i was just curious to hear what you guys would think of something like that i mean i really like this um you know i'd kind of forgotten about that that part in um you know, in in Clone Wars and having, um, you know, just kind of how special it is when we have um, clones interacting with, um, you know, people who are really kind of in in touch with the Force, with, um, you know, Jedi characters. And it's, it's a little bit rare um, in the series. I can't think of like a ton of examples of it, but I think that's like a really interesting um, dynamic to have in it interesting conversation to observe is you know a a clone talking with you know uh, a force user especially someone who's seeing um things at a on a much bigger scale than just like this war um and i'm wondering if there are going to be opportunities for that to kind of be addressed in the show because i think like we kind of know there's not really many in the way of force users, um, you know, at this point in the timeline. Um, certainly not, uh, you know, Jedi who are, um, you know, 
guess yeah just like around yeah. <laughs> pretty much they're, they're all in hiding and assuming the clones want to kill them now <laughs> yeah so now I, like i'm i'm thinking when are there going to be because i don't think these are i mean maybe these are conclusions and conversations the bad batch are going to have like come to on their own it doesn't feel super likely um maybe omega could help could be like could facilitate some of these like more um you know existential questions um for them um and maybe that will happen but i do wonder if um if they will you know if they will interact with um force users or well i mean everyone i get in the galaxy is like kind of a force user in in some ways but like um you know like like a jedi character like i wonder i wonder will they will they see kanan again um or caleb and um and who who else might they run into like it's you know (laughs) it's a feloni show i probably i i would not be surprised if ahsoka (laughs) showed up at some point no matter how much sense it made um so yeah that's just that's that's curious because i would like to i mean i i more so than like a jedi cameo which i don't really i i feel like there's kind of diminishing returns on those like this at this point like as a viewer where it's like Dude, we just we just got Luke Skywalker in Mandalorian. Like, yeah, uh, it's it's tough to kind of like win with those at this point. Um, but I would like to, you know, see the clones being able to have these more like existential conversations on like a broader scale than have like happened so far and maybe maybe omega will be the one to kind of facilitate that Mm, yeah it could be um i i think it would be it would be super compelling if they did kind of uh dig into the uh the living force and and the concept of the force around the clones um particularly because you know they really don't usually get into how the force is present in non-force users very much. I mean, you know, Jedi characters or, or, or those familiar with the force will say like it connects all of us and everybody's connected in the force and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, um, that's about the extent of it, I think really. Um, so, but we know that just because you don't use the force or, you know, that you're still connected to it and, and that it's a role or it plays a role in, in, in you as an individual and all those things. So, um, yeah, it would be, it would be, uh, definitely kind of new, a new direction to go, but it's, it's one that it, it is one of those things. I mean, almost like the, Hey, there were clones and now there aren't what happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like one of those unaddressed, um, kind of elements of, of the star Wars galaxy, right? Everybody has the force, but only some people use it. So how does it impact and affect those who aren't force users? Um, so I think, you know, it could have kind of big, uh, big picture implications, um, you know, beyond even just the clones, if they were to kind of go in that direction, like you've suggested, Dave. I think uh, aside from Yoda, 
the only other Jedi that really had those type of conversations with the clones that I can think of are Anakin, Ahsoka, and Plo Koon. Mm. O- Obi-Wan, kind of, but the reason I simply say Ahsoka, Anakin, and Plo Koon is that in Rebels, what are the two clones that are surviving? Rex and Wolf. Wolf was with Plo Koon. Rex was with Ahsoka and Anakin. Whereas episode 3 we see when Order 66 comes Commander Cody doesn't hesitate to take out Obi-Wan. <laughs> because mm-hmm. Obi-Wan was always by the book. And I think that rubbed off. I've always had this theory that aspects of the Jedi the clones served other kind of rubbed off on the clones themselves because of this connection with the living force because the Jedi are just such a powerful presence in the force that that presence would kind of superimpose itself on these clones. This is just my own theory, but Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. why we see when order 66 comes to Rex and he's pointing his, his blasters at Ahsoka, he's shaking visibly shaking i think there's a tear running down his eye and he's saying find fives because he's fighting the order with all of his might and that's because who he is as an individual in the force and the impact that he's had through osmosis with his interactions with anakin and ahsoka who are two incredibly powerful beings in the force and i think that those those um reverberations that these Jedi have given off in the Force would transpose themselves onto the clones if they were treating them in the way that we see Yoda treat the clones. One Jedi who didn't treat the clones that way was Mace Windu, in my opinion. He just went about his business. Hey, guys, do this. Okay, boom. Mm -hmm. He didn't care. But the main characters of of the clones that we get the biggest close-ups on throughout the Clone Wars series are the ones who had interactions with the Jedi who were the most who treated them like human beings and respected them as beings in the Force. And that's why that, that's what inspired that thought of mine is that mm-hmm. I don't know if they, they've purposefully told the stories of clones like that with such a line of thinking in mind, but it makes sense to me that Rex would hesitate to execute Order 66 because his presence in the force by osmosis has gained attributes of what people like Ahsoka and Anakin were like. And so Ahsoka and Anakin always not doing things by the book, but doing what they think is right in the moment. And Rex was trying to do so much what was right in the moment, but he couldn't do it because that order 66 programming was beating that down. I just, because this goes back to my original fascination with the clones that they are life. And because of what Yoda said mm-hmm. that they can have interactions with whether they know it or not, they're having interactions with the force and that sadly order 66 kind of cut them off from that individual presence of the force that they had developed. It's just something that's been on my mind for a long time. And, part of my fascination with the clones. <laughs> yeah, super compelling. Um, and uh, you, you've been, uh, you've been pretty accurate in your predictions so far <laughs> about Bad Batch. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I won't be surprised if, uh, 
if the show ends up tackling that at, uh, at some point here. So, all right. Well, I think, um, I think that's going to do it for our, our discussion here of, uh, the second and third episodes of, uh, of the bad batch. Um, Dave, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and, uh, thank you and, for and, having and, me. yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 you know, I tell you this all the time, but I just really appreciate and, uh, enjoy your perspective on, uh, on the clones and the clone story. And I definitely feel like that's kind of one of my, my weak spots as far as my understanding of star Wars goes. So, um, it's great to have you on to, to kind of pad, uh, <laughs> my, anyway, my, uh, interpretation of all this stuff. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm super glad too, because I, I invited you on to the show, uh, before bad batch had debuted. And, uh, you know, at the time I was thinking, man, I, I hope I'm going to like this show. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I, I really do. Uh, I've been enjoying it a ton. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it has worked out well. Yeah, it's worked out well. And it, and it was great to have you on. Um, did you want to tell listeners uh, one more time about your blog and, and uh, where they can follow you and that kind of thing um, online? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Well, I'm on the, oh, I got to pull up my Twitter handle real quick. But my Twitter <laughs> handle is, um, I believe, is. I'll, I'll spell it out because if I say it, it's a combination of Norwegian and Japanese, but it's uh, at N-O-R-S-K-A-K-I-R-U-N-O, which is Norsk Akiruno. Akiruno is the city in Tokyo I live in. And um, it's the same for Instagram as well. And my blog is um, Akiruno Life is the name of it. So the spelling is the same as my Twitter and Instagram handle, Akiruno plus life. And most of the articles I've posted thus far connect, do some type of exploration of uh, Japanese thought, Japanese culture, and connections that I have, through my life here, I've uh, found in Star Wars. I also have written about... um, other topics that I'm just interested in about Japanese history specifically. Um, it's been really fascinating for me as an American to read about the Japanese experience in World War II through Japanese eyes and have access to that material. And so things that I've um, read over the years, like uh, a fascinating interview between Hayao Miyazaki and uh, contemporary, well, he just unfortunately passed away this year, but a great Japanese historical fiction writer, and they talked about the movie The Wind Rises. And I translated just for fun. I translated part of this great interview conversation these two guys had about that film, about the Japanese society at the time and themes like that. And so, yeah, if you want to read a little bit about Star Wars in Japan, but also just get an idea of like different areas of Japanese history that I've been fascinated with, like, samurai history or i just did my most recent article was about a ghost to tsushima and the japanese localization of it because ironically the game was made in english and then they had to do the japanese localization which is perfect in my opinion it feels like it was made in japanese which it should have been but that's my opinion (laughs) but yeah that's that's basically where you can find me and uh hope to have something up within the next month or so. I was kind of
kind of thinking about doing some comparisons of the Star Wars propaganda book and uh, Japanese, real Japanese propaganda in World War II that I've uh, seen in this fascinating book I got a while back. So, yeah, awesome. That's it. <laughs> Sorry, that was long. <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. That's uh, that's great, and that that sounds uh, that sounds super interesting. I'll be uh, looking forward to the to the propaganda post. Um, yeah. So as for us, uh, you can follow everything we do at blockaderunnerpodcast.com. and uh, you can reach out to the show uh, on Twitter at blockade run or uh, email us blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, Ryan, you're on Twitter at. Via Malay, V-A-Y-A-M-A-L-A-Y. Okay, so uh, thanks again so much for listening. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Blockade Runner podcast. We are all the Republic. <laughs>